Let's pray together. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Breathe fresh into your people. Lord, those that may be doubting or struggling, come breathe on them. Lord, those that are rejoicing, come breathe on them. Lord, come breathe on your holy word that it might make us whole in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does the word home mean to you? What images come to mind when you think about home? Maybe what smells come to mind? What people come to mind? What do you imagine when you imagine home? This is Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, Many of us have gathered with our families. We've eaten uh, copious amounts of food. Um, And we are... uh, Often at Thanksgiving, we're reminded of this sense of home when we're around a table with people we love. But also, it reminds us that this sense of home is oftentimes fleeting for us, um, especially as Americans. Uh, uh, Atlantic, the magazine Atlantic had an article recently that said that the average American will move 11 times in their lives, which means we live in 11 homes on average throughout our lives. If you're in the military, that's like three years for you. (laughs) And that's in comparison to Europeans that move only four times, an average of four times in their entire life. And the overwhelming reason that Americans choose to move around, unsurprisingly, is work. That our work moves us from place to place, or our commute's too long or too short. Um, And... A study suggests this, that Americans now put in almost 25% more hours per week of work than Europeans. Now, it starts to make me wonder, like, what do the Europeans have figured out? That they don't have to move very much or work very much. Um, And still things seem to be going okay for them. But our heavy workload and our transient lifestyle from house to house pulls us away from this developing a sense of home. It's hard enough just to have a sense of your nuclear family, but to get to know your neighbors, to get to know your neighborhood, to get to know your place and the culture of the people around you. It oftentimes proves elusive for us. And in this transient society, it leaves us with this nagging sense that our houses and our neighborhoods don't always feel like home to us. There was a movie that came out a number of years ago called Garden State. Uh, It's Zach Braff and Natalie Portman. And it wasn't uh, super, it wasn't a big box office hit, but it was uh, highly rated by the critics because they said that it put the finger on the pulse of the generation, of the millennial generation that was emerging. But I think it really puts its pulse on the human condition. One of the characters, the main character, is talking to this girl that he's getting to know, and he says, You know that point in your life when you realize the house you grew up in isn't really home anymore. All of a sudden, even though you have some place where you put your stuff, the idea of home is gone. When you move out of your childhood home, you feel like you can never get that sense of home back. It's like you feel homesick for a place that doesn't even exist. And maybe it's this rite of passage, you know. 
You won't ever have this feeling again until you create a new idea of home for yourself, for your kids, for your family to start. It's like a cycle or something. I don't know. I just miss the idea of home. And maybe that's all family really is. A group of people that miss the same imaginary place. He perfectly describes that elusive sense of home. That in our minds or in our imaginations, we have some ideal place. Maybe the place we grew up in. Or those years that the kids were young. Or that one town or church that we belong to. Or that sweet season where it just seemed like everything was good. And that's what we imagine when we imagine home. And weekends like Thanksgiving are rich because they give us a sense of that place of home. But they also stir in us a longing because weekends like this remind us that we still long to be reunited with maybe people that live far from us now or people that have, been, that have passed away. Or we long to be reconciled with relationships in our family that are broken. And so there's this longing when we spend our lives searching for this fleeting sense of home. So what I want to talk about in the sermon is where does that come from? That sense of wanting to find a home. And does this longing for home point to a deeper longing within us? And this morning we're going to search out those questions by looking to God. We've been in the sermon series called Occupied with Greatness. And this is the last of the sermon series before we move into Advent. And we're going to be looking at the attributes of God. That's what we've been looking at through the whole sermon series. And specifically this morning, we're going to look at the Trinity. The, the, the personhood of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at three points. I got three points, of course. It's a sermon on the Trinity, right? You've got to have three points. Um, the wonder of the Trinity, the will of the Trinity, and the work of the Trinity. The wonder, the will, and the work. But really, here's my main point. That home is found in the fellowship of the Trinity. That home is found in the fellowship of the Trinity. So I want to first start at looking at the wonder of the Trinity. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to John 21. Or sorry, John 20, starting in verse 19. It's on 906 in your pew Bible if you have one, you have one in front of you. And we're going to be planting here for the majority of the sermon. So I want you to, to just see the Trinity here in this passage. Throughout the scripture, the Trinity always working. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the majority of the time, we only see one of the persons of the Trinity generally working, or maybe two. And there's a few times in scripture where all three persons of the Trinity show up on the stage at the same time. This is one of those. So kids, adults, everywhere in between, listen for each person of the Trinity. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. You see? You guys see him? 
You see him? All right. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. She had a pen out, taking notes. All right, I like it. Um, putting you adults to shame. Um, so generally when we approach the Trinity, uh, we don't always do it with a sense of wonder. We usually have a sense of the theorist, which is my goal is to figure out the exact equation of how the Trinity works, or the practicalist, which is, I don't even know if that's a word, practicalist, probably not. Um, but I can't, I can't wrap my head around it, so does it even really matter at all? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, I don't really care. Theorist or practicalist? Now the theorist, what generally, uh, what you get is a very long, boring sermon, which I'm really hoping not to do today. Um, but you'll get something like this, where they'll try to work, you know, the, the mathematical equation of the Trinity. Go ahead and throw up that first Matthew-looking, uh, yeah, doesn't that just like really get you excited, guys? <laughs> like the ma- math majors in college are like, yes, leave that up there as long as you can. Um, but the idea of uh, the Son is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. But then the Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. And so you get this like math equation and let's talk, talk about, you know, three persons and one being and all that kind of stuff, um, which, is really, which is really amazing. Thinking through the Trinity is amazing. The Athanasian Creed puts it this way. Go ahead and throw up the next one. This is uh, the church hammered out the doctrine of the Trinity and came up with this a fairly long creed that really sums it up. And so if you're really into the, how how does the the inner work of the Trinity, it would be a great uh, thing for you to look at. It says, thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, yet there are not three gods, there is one God. Now, for those who don't like math equations, that begins to be overwhelming. I can't figure it out, I can't figure it out, so let's just put aside the doctrine of the Trinity for another day. But if we put aside the doctrine of the Trinity, we miss so much about who made us and what we're made for. Because the idea that God is triune, that that it is a mystery that we cannot wrap our heads around, is something that should provoke wonder out of us. In college, I had a uh, professor named Rudy Mankey, and he was like a local hero in uh, South Carolina, which is the greatest state of all time. Um, <laughs> so even though my uh, football team got demolished by the others, uh, anyways, not, long story short, i um, going to get back on track here. Focus, focus, squirrel. Um, so he, he said uh, he was a naturalist, and he said the naturalists are people that study the natural world, and they are in wonder of the natural world. They study it, and they're in awe of it. They marvel at it. And that's what God, by giving us his personhood, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's inviting us not just to study him, but to marvel at him, to wonder at him. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way, the triune one is greater in glory deeper in mystery, more beautiful in harmony than all other realities in creation. No tragedy is too big to overwhelm him. Nothing incomprehensible to us is so to him, whose very being is incomprehensible to us. There is no darkness deeper than the depths of the in-being of God. That we can wonder at God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in three, three in one. 
And I got a sense of that wonder of what the Trinity is like. When I went uh, a few years ago, my wife had saved, we saved up all through our early marriage because she's always wanted to go to Paris. And so we went to Paris together and it was a rainy day, so we decided to go to a museum. We, we enjoy art museums. And we went to a museum called Le Angerie, which that's, if you're French, you're like making fun of me now because that's not probably how you pronounce it. Um, but there, there is this beautiful... There's two beautiful paintings by Monet, the water lilies. You're probably familiar with them. But what's amazing about these specific ones that he painted is how vast they are. You can see this guy sitting right here in gray, with the gray hair. When you're sitting there, you can't see the entirety of the painting. Now, in your peripheral, you can kind of maybe see the edges of it, but you can't see the whole. And he actually said about this painting, he says, I want this painting to, to capture the illusion of the infinity, of, of, of an infinite uh, scope that you have. And the amazing thing is when you look at this painting, you can't see it all, but it invites you to step in closer. And you get, as you, as you draw in closer, you get to see the paintbrush marks of a genius of one of the greatest painters of all time. But as you move in closer to it, you know, you don't, you're no longer able to perceive the whole. So you back up and then you can see more of the whole, but you never see the full picture. And that's what it's like. That's what the Trinity is like for us. That the Trinity is inviting us into the mystery of God. And we can't pin it down. There's no easy answers to the Trinity, but it invites us into wonder and into, into mystery. But it's more than just wondering at the idea of three and one and one and three. We wonder at the relational aspect of the, of the Trinity. That in the very core of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is what sets Christianity apart from other religions. That at the very core is a relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I want to throw up another painting for you. This is the most famous painting on the Trinity. This is a 500-year-old painting by a man named Rublev. He was an Eastern Orthodox. This is an icon. And there's so much rich symbolism here. And what you see, though, is the relational component. This is the Father here. This is the Son. And this is the Holy Spirit. But you can see, look at their eyes. You can see the, the Father's looking to the Son and to the Spirit. And the Son's looking to the Father. And the Spirit's looking to the Father and to the Son. And so there's a sense of the relational component of the Godhead. That, there, that there, there's a self-giving love. That in, in the Scriptures you see the Father saying, I'm sending the Son. And the Son saying, I'm glorifying the Father and doing what He, His will. And then the, the Father says, we're going to send the Spirit. And the Spirit glorifies the Son and the Father. It's, it's the, the, the picture of a perfect family. A self-giving, self-wanting uh, the other to be glorified. Seeking the glory of the other. And you see this beautiful diversity, yet unity in the Godhead. And so it invites us to wonder. I say, God, you are bigger. I could spend my whole life studying, and you are bigger than that. I saw the perfect example of this the other day. I was doing something around the house, and our son, we have big windows in our house. And my son, a one-and-a-half-year-old son, was outside. Um, on the deck playing around and we have a little fence around the, so he can't get out. And I heard him laughing. And he was just laughing, which the, the, the laughter of a child is a beautiful thing. Um, and I went and looked outside and I'm not kidding. He was laying back like this, 
looking up, laughing. And I'm like, what is he doing? I look, look down, and then I look up, and there's this big pileated woodpecker pecking away at this tree. And the wonder, watching him as he watched that woodpecker for the next five minutes. And that's what the Holy Trinity does, invites us to wonder at the mystery, the immensity of the Trinity. So this Advent season, for you, it might look like you leaning into the wonder of the Trinity. Leaning into who is God? How do I know God? Maybe some of you guys are searching and you're like, I don't know if I buy all this. But you're searching for something. You're searching for a home. You're searching for answers. And God invites us into that search. He says, come search after me. Because if you search for me, you will find me. So that's the wonder of the Trinity. The second aspect of the Trinity is the will of the Trinity. And so here, we zoom in on what does the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit want? What do they desire? Why do they make us? Why do they show up in human history? Why did did the, the Father send the Son? Why is the Spirit here? And I want to follow along. So we have right in here, this is Easter evening. So there's rumblings of the resurrection, but there's still lots and lots of doubts. And it says that in the evening of the first day of the week, the doors were locked. So the doors were locked. They were trying to keep the world out for fear of the Jews, fear of the authorities that had put Jesus to death. That they were afraid that they were going to be put to death. And then it says that Jesus came. Two great words. That Jesus came to them. And it says that he stood among them. And then he says to them these words. Which are not the words that I would expect. If I'm Jesus' friends and I know that I have just denied him. I've, I've, known, I've, I've abandoned him in his time of need. What I would expect is, you know, it's Jesus, so it's probably, he's not going to be too harsh, but a gentle rebuke. What's wrong with you? Where have you been? Where were you? Which a lot of times is what keeps us from God because we think that if we darken the doors of a church, there's just, the, 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 the roof's going to fall in on us, that God wants nothing to do with us. Because the way we've lived or the way we have ignored him or the way we've doubted him. And yet, these are the words of Jesus. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And he says it again in a couple of verses later. This isn't just a greeting. He's saying, I've come to bring peace. Peace be with you. He's come to make peace between God and man. He's come to proclaim that something has changed and God and man are now at peace. And a lot of times in our lives, we think, well, I've got to make peace with God. You know, you always hear that in movies or maybe uh, you've heard somebody close to you say that when they realize that they might not be living forever. You know, they, they, they get... Uh, some sort of a terminal illness or something like that. And they're like, I got to make peace with God. And what Jesus is coming and saying is God has already made peace with you. How? God has made peace with you. He shows you how. Because the disciples hear the words, but you can still see them backing away and saying, surely he can't mean that. Or maybe that's just a greeting. And then he Once he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
He said, it's not just words, peace. It's work that I've done. I've made peace with God on your behalf. Colossians 1.20 says that God has reconciling the world to himself, making peace with the world by the blood of the cross. That it's the cross that is God's means of making peace with us. And here in this picture, the scholars, the art scholars say this, that right there, that's the tree. That symbolizes both the Garden of Eden as well as the tree of the cross. And that's what makes peace between God and man. He says, I've come to make peace. I've come to bring you home. You feel lost. You feel gone. You feel like the Father wants nothing to do with you. I've come to bring you home. And he did that by leaving his home. Jesus left heaven. He left the eternal trinity of the Father and came down to earth. And I loved in our psalm reading today, it says, Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Even in the Father's house, the sparrow finds a home. But Jesus said that foxes have holes and, and birds have nests, but even the Son of God has no place to lay his head. That Jesus moved numerous times throughout his life. He was born in a city that wasn't his hometown. He moved to Nazareth. He had to go to Egypt. And then all, during his whole ministry, he had no home. And so if you're feeling homesick for a place that doesn't exist, Jesus has experienced that for you. Why? So that you could have peace with the Father. So you could come home to the Trinitarian relationship. And here's the beauty of this picture. It is right here. This is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And right here is a meal. Now that doesn't look very good. It looks like Polish meatballs or something, um, some gruel. Uh, but there's four sides here to the table. There's the side of the Father. There's the side of the table where the Son is. There's the side of the table where the Spirit is. And then there's a fourth side. And art historians say that that fourth side is meant to be an invitation to us to come dine with the fellowship of the Trinity, to come as sons and daughters, to the table of the Lord. And you can see right here, the Spirit, His hand, is pointing to the table saying, I want you to eat with me. I want you here at my table. I want you to come home to me because I love you. Because you're mine, that's what I made you for. And not only that, but then it says this. That Jesus comes up to them in verse 22 and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. He inhales, receive the Holy Spirit. He says, I don't want you to just be home with me. I want my home to be in you. And earlier on in John, he tells them what the Holy Spirit is going to do when he says this. I will ask the Father and he will give you another to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. He will be in you. And if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we will come to Him and make our home in Him. That's what God wants, to make His home in you. God desires to make His home in you so that you can be forever at home in Him. And so our search for a home that's placed within us, that this longing that we're always looking, never finding, is so that we might search for God and then invite Him to come home in us and rest at home in Him. See, home is found in the fellowship of the Trinity. And finally, the work of the Trinity. And I'll be quick about this one. The work of the Trinity is this. He says, peace be with you, in verse 21. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so, the fellowship of the Trinity, I love that phrase, the fellowship of the Trinity, because it reminds me that the it reminds me of the Lord of the Rings because the Fellowship of the Ring, you guys remember in Lord of the Rings where they're all gathered up, they all get together and there's, who's going to go? Who's going to go? And there's like, I don't know how many of them, I'm not that big of a Lord of the Rings fan, but somebody could tell me after the service how many of them there were in the original Fellowship. Um, but they all had a mission. They all had a goal. That Fellowship wasn't just to exist or to invite you to come eat a meal, but it was to go. And Jesus saying, hey, you are to go. You'll go into the world. And as I was sent, so I am sending you. And so you have a mission to be a part of. To reconcile people to God. To tell other people that they have a place at the table. To provide healing. To provide uh, reconciliation. To, to provide love to people. To care for the least and the lost. That's the work of the Trinity that we are invited into. As I as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And you can see here, right here in green, that symbolizes the greenness of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit has come to do is to bring new life. To bring life where there's death. And that's what you're called to do. Part of the work is joining Him in that. So, last but not least, I want to look at what do we do? What do we do? How do we live into this grand narrative that God's placed before us? Well, we got five weeks till Christmas, right? The countdown is on. Black Friday has started. Everybody's already stressed out. We got Cyber Monday still, but you know the, the deals are halfway behind us. Um, and in Christmas time, there's no other time that we long more for home. What I want to encourage you to do is turn that longing into a search for God. It's a season to search for God. Advent is a perfect season to search for God. So I want to look, I want you to look for one way that you as an individual or you, your family can search for God together and seek to find your home in Him. There's a lot of different things that you can do. If you don't know what you think about God, go on a search for Him. Talk to somebody who you respect. There, we have an Advent devotional that, that you can do as an individual. We have activities that you can do with your kids. Or just create some space. What Jesus did throughout his life as he was sent was looked at the Father. And right here, that's what I love most about this picture. You can see Jesus' eyes are on the Father. And as we're sent into the world, we've got to keep our eyes on him. So if you feel like you've taken your eyes off of him, create some space to listen for his voice and to look to him. Even if it's just 10 minutes a day. 
Or maybe you're feeling called and, and sent out to the, to the world. And I love the story here. They're behind closed doors. They're like, keep the, the world out. And Jesus comes through the doors and then sends them out. He says, open the doors. You don't need to be afraid of the world. Go and serve and bless the world. So for some of you, it might be searching by learning about God. It might be listening to God. Or it might be going and loving others. And as you go love others, you're going to see Jesus along the way. So this Advent season creates space to wonder at the Trinity. To listen for the will of the Trinity. And to join in the work of the Trinity. God desires to make his home in you so that you can be at home in Him. Because home is found in the fellowship of the Trinity. And Jesus promises, one last promise from Jesus, John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Jesus is going to come again and will take you to myself and where I am, you may be also. So if we believe in Christ, I want you to imagine this scene. The scene that awaits us. That one day Jesus will usher us into the Thanksgiving meal at the table of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with all the saints and our families who have gone before us in front of a better meal than that, I hope. Um, a, a meal of rich foods where we can enjoy fully face-to-face the Trinity and that truest, deepest sense of home that we've been searching for for all of our lives. And that moment will rest upon us forever. We find our home in the fellowship of the Trinity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this amazing mystery that you've involved us in. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, show us our place in your story. Lord, and for those who don't know if they belong or don't know if you're real, I pray you would reveal yourself to them as Father, as Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.